Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, with the Hall of French Toast, Freddie Carlson, and I am joined once again by my good friend on the other side of the microphone, the heart of the wrestling fan base himself, Angelo Belli. Say hello to the people, Angelo. Hello, hello, and welcome back for another special episode yes, thank you. of the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. Welcome back. We thank you for joining us. We apologize for the delay in episodes you know as they say life gets in the way and that's the way things have been lately for both of us but we are back we are happy to be able to get a new episode going and hopefully you guys will be tuning in we intend on continuing the schedule going forward that being said let's get into tonight's discussion topic we are just a couple of days away at the time of recording from the 2020 WWE Hell in a Cell pay-per-view event, which will be taking place live on the WWE Network on Sunday, October the 25th at 7 p.m. And I just gave a cheap plug to WWE, and we will be getting no royalties from doing so, so don't think we are just plugging them to try and make some money. We make no money from doing this. Anyway, with the with Hell in a Cell coming up, we decided that one of the better ideas to talk about would be kind of take a retrospective of Hell in a Cell overall. Uh, Hell in a Cell, as a stipulation, debuted in October of 1997, so 23 years ago this month. And with his first match featuring The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at the 1997 Bad Blood pay-per-view. Also very extremely well known for the night as the night and the match where Kane made his WWE debut and one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history. Uh, that night and over the last 23 years there have been a lot of good and some bad matches to take place inside hell in a cell and if you know who i am you know what match i'm talking about yes we will be discussing it we'll get to that in a bit uh so we're going to talk about some of the best and worst matches to take place inside hell in a cell over the years as well as some of the best competitors to step foot into hell in a cell over the last couple of the last 20 years so angelo as a fan uh, what are some of your favorite things about a Hell in a Cell match? Some of my favorite things about the Hell in a Cell. Um, for me, it's just like uh, some of the surprises that we get to see. You know, whether it's you know people climbing, you know the the superstars climbing to the top and throwing each other off, or crashing through the top of the cell, which we've seen sometime in the past, or just you know seeing. A moment like when Edge speared Taker through the cell wall. Yeah, and that's a match that I definitely want to uh, talk about because I, I think that's a very underrated match that's also very good. But um, yeah, for me, I think one of the most important aspects of a Hell in a Cell match is at the beginning of its, of its existence, it was reserved for the most intense feuds and high leverage moments. Like, it was not just meant to be a match... That was going to happen at a specific time throughout the year. And as I've said before in podcast episodes that we've had, I just hate the concept that WWE has to gimmick pay-per-views when in the past you didn't need to. And the gimmicks kind of, the gimmick pay-per-views take away from the gimmick matches. Hell in a Cell, Extreme Rules, and TLC, I'm looking at you. Uh, But Hell in a Cell had a very special has a very special place in my heart as a wrestling fan because I still remember when I and this is not to be like one of those old man yells at cloud type of things that like from the Simpsons, you know, it's it's meant to be all right, this match is very important in terms of storyline aspects. And I think with this year's Hell in a Cell event, all three cell matches for the first time in a while 
deservedly so, are being placed inside the cell. And I like the concept that they all are. It's not like uh, we had um, 2016, and we're going to get into this discussion now. 2016, Seth Rollins faced Kevin Owens for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell. And the whole thing was, oh yeah, it keeps Chris Jericho out. And then Chris Jericho still found his way into the cage and played into the victory. So why not just have a standard match if you're going to have Jericho cause a screwy finish instead of just having a really stupid ref bump? So, um, Angelo, can you think of any other matches that stick out to you as ones that were in the cell that probably shouldn't have been? In the cell that probably shouldn't have been? Yeah. Uh, do, do you want me to bring up one that I know you have such a passionate hate for? You know, we got to talk about it one way or another, so let's just, uh, all right, let's just talk about it. All right, so we're going to get right into it. In my opinion, this is the worst Hell in a Cell match to have ever taken place. And there are so many things about it that I hate, and this is me on a soapbox, and I am the old man yelling at a cloud now. Last year, October of 2019, Hell in a Cell, uh, the main event, Seth Rollins defending the Universal Championship against The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, inside hell in a cell. Where do we begin? Okay, let's just look at some of the facts. You had uh, the red cell already that they changed the color in recent years. is very hard to look at, but I can look past it. Uh, add in that really terrible red light that The Fiend used to wrestle under, and you just got a, a recipe for disaster. You couldn't see anything. The match itself really wasn't spectacular. There wasn't any moments that kind of like blew you away. Um, and then we get to the finish. Okay, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Hell in a Cell is a match where there's no disqualifications and no countouts. The only way to win has been by pinfall or submission within the ropes for the 20, first 21 and a half not even, the first 21 years of its existence. Until 2018, when Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman's Hell in a Cell match ended in a no contest. And now you've brought in the realm of possibility that a Hell in a Cell match could in fact end with a no contest and cause there to be another matchup later down the line. And man, I hate that booking. Hell in a Cell is supposed to be the blow-off to a huge feud. Think about this year. All right, think about 2020. Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton are going to be inside Hell in a Cell. And those are two guys who have been feuding since the end of July. All right, that title the title has oh, yeah. been up for grabs between those two for three months now. And this is the end to their feud. McIntyre won out of nowhere at SummerSlam, but then Orton got the revenge with all the punt kicks. McIntyre survived at Clash of Champions in the ambulance match with help from Legends who came back and attacked Randy Orton. But now it's just personal, and now they're going to fight. Or Roman Reigns and Jey Uso for the first time ever, and I quit Hell in a Cell match, where the only way to win is to make your opponent quit. Literally, there's no way for that match to end in a no contest. Somebody has to say those two words. And that match has been built up on the bloodline over uh, boiling over, and now you're going to have a legit match that's going to need the Cell to keep, you know, it's going to up the stakes from Clash of Champions. And then Bailey and Sasha Banks, arguably the most deserving out of the three, because this is a match that we have waited for, what, five years to see? 
since TakeOver Brooklyn won and, and TakeOver Respect in 2015. And then we said when they come to the main roster, that eventual feud on the main roster is going to be gold. And we had it teased and teased. They teamed, they feuded, they teamed, they feuded, but they never had that big blow-off match. And here it is, and I think this is going to be the main event. It should go on last, in my opinion. Doubt it will, but we'll see what happens. But let's go back to 2019 and the match that we started talking about. Seth Rollins was disqualified for going, oh, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here, overboard. How can you go overboard in a match where there's literally no rules? How can a referee deem a superstar's actions in a match with no rules to be too far? Like, at least when Roman and Braun ended in a no contest, Brock Lesnar came in and wiped out both of them in a matter of seconds. They literally, neither of them could get up, so they just said, okay, this match is over. Brock just killed both guys. I didn't like it, but there was a little bit of sense to it. And it was supposed to end up having that triple threat that didn't happen because of Roman's leukemia at Crown Jewel because they insist on making the Saudi shows so big. But let's now look at Seth. He was hit with a big, funny hammer earlier in the match and no disqualification. But he takes out a smaller sledgehammer and threatens to crush the Fiend's head with a toolbox. Oh yeah, we're going to call for a DQ. That's That's too far. And then... The Fiend still made Seth pass out and bleed from the mouth to end the show. And they booked themselves into such a terrible corner that they had no choice but to go to Crown Jewel and make the stipulation that it's a Falls Can Anywhere match. The match cannot be stopped for any reason. Which, by the way, can implicate that even if someone's pinned or submitted, the match doesn't end. But that's beside the point. I have such a, a hatred for this match because... It essentially takes the Fiend character, which was so hot at the time, and it just kicked it in the gut and took it down so many levels. And Seth Rollins, it ruined what was supposed to be a really high, a hot babyface run for him. You know, it was already souring at that point, but, you know, they booked themselves into a corner. The man who beat Brock Lesnar twice in five months, and the man who's supposed to be this unstoppable and impervious to pain monster. You can't pick a winner there because... If Seth beats The Fiend, you just ruin The Fiend. And if The Fiend beats Seth, well, why did you saying that, the, that Seth was, was a fluke that he beat Brock twice? So, Angelo, what are your opinions on this match? I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I totally agree with what you had to say 100% on that. Because for me, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like segue into another match, but... For them to say that Seth went overboard is kind of uh, kind of stupid in my opinion because think about when Taker and uh, Mankind were in that match. Taker threw Mankind off of the top of the fucking he, cell JR, through the table. JR literally said, that's it, he's dead. Yeah. Oh, sorry, and, that was Jerry Lawler. Like, no protection. He was concussed. He was broken in half. His <laughs> tooth was in his freaking nose and the match wasn't stopped. They went another 10 minutes. And, yeah. and mind you, Taker was wrestling on a broken foot. So and he, Mankind was wrestling while concussed. He was wrestling while fall. concussed. I think he had a separated shoulder. He had a tooth in his nose. He was bleeding from his mouth. He couldn't stand. <laughs> Went up a second time and still got thrown off again. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's a universally agreed upon thought that that match... Mankind and The Undertaker, which officially is only recognized as the third ever Hell in a Cell match, might I add, oh, wow. is considered to be the greatest of all time. It is the standard for 
Hell in a Cell. Every Hell in a Cell match to this day has to try and live up to that standard. And they take, now apparently not much more safer, bumps off of the cell. I mean, Shane McMahon has done it twice. You would think after the first time he would learn his lesson to not jump off of it again. But he tried to jump off of it again and Kevin Owens moved out of the way. Or Sami Zayn pulled him out of the way. So, yeah, there's been a lot of... There's been a lot of good matches. We talk, So, to kind of conclude the thought about Seth and The Fiend, I just hate how that decision has officially taken the stipulation of the, of the Hell in a Cell after what they did the year prior with Roman and Braun and has officially just tossed it out the window, essentially. You know, okay. So, what you're telling me is they can have a DQ in a Hell in a Cell match. And there's technically something that's considered too far to WWE in these days. And I just don't get it. I really don't get it. Uh, but yeah, so they've ruined that. And now you have to always have this thought in the back of your mind of, yeah, this could end in a disqualification somehow, some way. Now there's no Saudi show to build to in three weeks or in two weeks, but I just, I don't like the match. And I will, Stop talking about it now because we are not here to just talk about how bad that match in particular was. Let's move on to something a little bit more positive, shall we? We talked about The Undertaker and Mankind, which arguably is, or actually, I really don't see much of an argument. In my opinion, it is the greatest Hell in a Cell match of all time. Those two guys set the standard that will forever be attempted to live up to, and unfortunately, I don't think much can because we've seen everything now. Um, But, Angela, are there any other... I, I mean, good is a, an arbitrary, subjective term. Are there any other good Hell in a Cell matches that you can think of that you put in a similar category to that? Like, like a glass ceiling. Type? Yeah, like okay. So if we all kind of we all kind of agree that see, like we all kind of agree that that is the best. But if you had to pick another one, well, like another uh, another one that's up there in that like top five, if you will. Oh man. Um so I, I kinda have two and I don't know how this is gonna go over well, but first one being Edge versus Taker, I believe it was two thousand and eight. Yes, SummerSlam only. And then the other one was the New Day versus the Usos in one of their classic Alright, that's an interesting one. Matches. That's a very interesting one. Tell me a little more about why. Why do you feel like that one's up there? So I, I don't know why for like for me, it's it's just because they've had so many great matches, and for me, it was just like the whole thing in Hell in a Cell. Like you said, it should be the blow off to to a great feud, and for me, it's that's just one of their best matches, in my opinion. I yeah, well, for sure, them in Hell in a Cell. Well, I do like the concept that it was the first ever tag team championship Hell in a Cell match. It was it was it was not seen before that, and to to this point has not been seen since. But that's also because tag team wrestling has faltered in the time since, with you know WWE seeming to just say, "All right, we don't care about you." But um, all that being said, uh, I do I do like that match a lot. I actually rewatched it back during the uh, quarantine months of the pandemic, uh, and I I got a lot of enjoyment out of it rewatching it and seeing. Uh, the innovation that and you know they make they incor- they incorporated comedy which the new day typically would do, um and also we haven't talked about this in the podcast but rest in peace to the new day twenty fourteen to twenty twenty the draft separating those those guys real emotion real tears were shed 
at last night when uh, uh, Xavier, Kofi, and Big E went their separate ways uh, due to the draft. But, um, yeah, I really liked the match. I wouldn't necessarily put it in the top five, but I definitely think it's up there. Uh, Taker and Edge was the first SummerSlam that I watched on pay-per-view. In fact, it was only, I think, the second pay-per-view I ever watched like wow. as a fan when I was a kid. So that pl- that match holds a special place in my heart. Um, and yeah, it has a lot of action that I think is under, I said earlier, was underrated. Um, because, you know, Edge was made to look like a star. He may have lost, but he was made to look like a genuine star in there with The Undertaker. Not to say that he never did in their previous battles, but, you know, Undertaker had a certain goal, and it was to make Edge as big a star as he could in that feud. And Edge may have gone away for a few months after that, but he came back and he was at the top of his game. And that, that's what I like to see. Uh, I think I still like that uh, that that choke slam bump Edge took off the top rope through two tables in between oh, yeah. the cell and the ring. That was a crazy bump because there's not a lot of room to fall there. Uh, so I really like that one. Here's another one that I really liked. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to... Uh, I want to double check the year really quickly. I have my notes in front of me. Uh, back in 2000, No Way Out, Triple H versus Cactus Jack, another incarnation of the wonderful man named Mick Foley, taking a bump where, once again, he went flying through a cell and landing on the ring, Although, albeit this one was planned. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that match, uh, that feud was what really established Triple H as a main event heel. Yeah, he had a few months as that, you know, with the the start of the McMahon-Helmsley regime in 99 after DX and stuff. But I genuinely believe that his transition to the game started with his two matches with Cactus Jack. The street fight at the Royal Rumble in 2000, and then the, the Hell in a Cell match at, uh, <coughs> excuse me, at No Way Out. What do you? What? What are your? T- have you? You've seen Taker? Uh, you've seen Man uh, Cactus Jack? Sorry, a lot of names we've we've rumbled around here. And Triple H, the one where they uh, Foley took the back bump, uh, the uh, back body drop through the cell wall, cell ceiling through the ring. Yeah, I've I've, I've seen that actually. I um, watched a clip of that match the other night when uh, when he actually flipped through the top of the cell and. What was it? A chair landed on top of him, too, when he went through the ring that time, right? Uh, I don't know. I think I remember went, there was a chair involved. He went through, I think, no. I, so the chair was what knocked his tooth into his nose against The Undertaker. That, that was the one against The Undertaker. Yeah, he got chokeslammed through the cell roof, and the cell roof was not supposed to give way, but it did. And the chair was up there, and it, it was on the same panel where he stood, where he landed, and the chair landed right on his face. That's how his tooth got knocked into his nose. I believe, and this is me just trying to remember, the Triple H Cactus Jack one, they had a flaming barbed wire bat on top of the cell. And yes, he went through the ring. So he went through the ceiling and went through the ring because that bump was planned as opposed to the bump with Taker, which was not planned. I know that they've said in in interviews since that uh, the one with Taker was not supposed to to go down that way. He was supposed to land on top. But I mean, it's a 300-pound man, and I'm just convinced that that... Uh, aluminum fencing that they use was never going to be strong enough to hold on to him. No, not at all. But yeah, those the the bumps that Mick Foley, Mankind, whatever whatever name he wants to go by, um, just the bumps that he has taken in those matches. It's like it, it, I I don't think anybody would actually be able to do it the way that he did it. Oh no, like, 
Now he was only in a couple. Psychologically, like, incapable. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. Mick was only in a couple. Uh, he was in the those two that we've mentioned, as well as one other one uh, on Monday Night Raw. It was a tag team Hell in a Cell match where he teamed with, uh, let's see here, he teamed with Kane to take on Stone Cold and The Undertaker. Um, he also took on one against, he was also in one against Kane on Raw, but those two were both on Raw. They really weren't uh, full, on, full on matches. But still, he was involved in a lot of the early days of it. And this can also, I, I have a, a couple of the matches that I did want to bring up, but this can also transition into another idea that we wanted to talk about. And that is some of the uh, most prolific performers in Hell in a Cell history. Uh, WWE posted on their social media earlier today on the day of recording uh, a picture of who they believe to be the three greatest Hell in a Cell competitors of all time. I personally could not agree more. Uh, I believe that these three guys who have competed, I believe each, I think they have the the top three of most appearances in Hell in a Cell. Uh, Randy Orton, who will be competing in his eighth Hell in a Cell match this Sunday at, uh, against Drew McIntyre. Triple H, who's competed in, uh, I want to say it's either nine or ten. And The Undertaker, who has competed in twelve. Of course, The Undertaker, it's, you know, he, he, he kind of rang in a lot of the gimmick matches for WWE because he's been around for 30 years. So, like, I, th- I think he competed in the first ever Hell in a Cell match, the first ever casket match, boiler room brawl, buried alive match. Anything to do with you dying or fighting in a place that you shouldn't fight, Taker pretty much competed in the first one of. Um, so, yeah, I believe that uh, Taker is the most prolific performer in Hell in a Cell history. I can't really pinpoint any of his Hell in a Cell matches that were necessarily bad. Um, I really liked. I mean, of course, we talked about the one with Mankind. We talked about his one with Shawn Michaels, which was the first ever one, and of course the historic moment of Kane's debut. His match with Edge, we've talked about. He also has had two very good Hell in a Cell matches with Brock Lesnar 13 years apart. 2002 No Mercy and Hell in a Cell 2015. He's competed against, and let's take a look at the official list here. He has t- he's comp- In addition to those men we've already named, he competed in the only six-man Hell in a Cell match in history. That's another one of the ones that I wanted to talk about. That also featured uh, Kurt Ang- Armageddon, right? Armageddon, 1999, uh, Armageddon 2000, Kurt Angle, Triple H, Stone Cold, The Rock, Rikishi, and The Undertaker. Talk about a stacked main event. Um, he also competed against the Big Boss Man in one. He's competed against uh, uh, his brother Kane, Randy Orton, Batista, CM Punk, um, and... Shane McMahon and Triple H. H. Triple H considered to be um, uh, w- was the last Hell in a Cell match to take place at an event that was not the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh, no, I am incorrect. It took place at WrestleMania 28. His match with Shane McMahon took place four years later at WrestleMania 32. So, his match with Triple H. Let's talk about that one. The end of an era match with uh, Triple H, the guest referee being Shawn Michaels. What did you have to say? What do you have to say about that one? So that one, I um, I kind of remember watching, like sitting on my couch watching it on TV. And it was just like, even though I didn't get to see, you know, all three men in the like beginning of their careers, it's like, you know, when you're a wrestling fan and you've been watching the sport since you were a kid and like, you just know the names and like know the faces and everything. It's 
you could see like the intensity and the emotion coming out from the men during the match. And that match, I re- I remember, I was actually for a split second, I thought Triple H was going to win because oh, Sean hit Undertaker that with sweet chin music <laughs> into the pedigree. That may be the single most satisfying kickout to watch in any match ever because. Let's be honest, they were 25 minutes in to the one of the most brutal-to-watch Hell in a Cell matches that you could watch, yeah. where someone didn't go flying through a wall or off the side of a cage. You know, they, they chose in-ring psychology with the mixture of using the cell and the weapons and the story and the fact that these two guys are the definition of what this match has become over the past, what at the time was, uh, 15 years. It was the de- These were the two best and most prolific performers in the Cell's history. It's the match that made Triple H into the performer, the performer that he was, and it was the match that was defined by The Undertaker's consistency every single time he stepped into that cage, and he made a point to be the best. And of course, Shawn Michaels, whose ability to tell a story both with his actions, his facial expressions, and his, and his words are unbelievable. And I think that if you're talking about a match that from top to bottom is the perfect definition of psychology in the wrestling business, it is those three guys. Because let's be honest, there's not many more guys who are as psychologically sound in that ring who you could ask at that stage of their careers to put on the classic that they did. Sean, I'm not usually a big fan of guest refs, especially not at WrestleMania, but Sean added so much to that match. His, his expression, like, he was in the corner at one point looking like he was about to cry because these are two guys who he's friends with, who he respects, who he loves, literally beating each other to the point where one of them was likely going to look like they were going to die because they couldn't stand, they couldn't move, and yet they kept going. The, 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 the eeriness of Triple H yelling, stay down, stay down to The Undertaker, who for years was impervious to anyone trying to take them out. And even though people came close to ending the streak, he never was in that position before. And Triple H put him there, and it was until the very last second. And in my opinion, that moment at the end, where they all walked together up the ramp, arm in arm, helping each other out. They they were said they said that after the fact that that was a very organic moment. It was not planned. Where they stood at the top of the ramp, arm in arm, looking out at the crowd, realizing that likely this was the last time that those three guys who defined the Attitude Era would stand together on a stage at that level of their careers. Because let's be honest, Sean was retired, and his only match since then was god awful. The Undertaker was well at the tail end of his career, and he's acknowledged that it was around that time where he started to slow down. He had a string of matches from WrestleMania 23 to 29 that were unparalleled against Batista, Edge, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, CM Punk, and, and CM Punk. And those those six years took a lot out of him because he went so hard. And Triple H, while he stayed around, he's still a very good competitor and can still tell a great story because he's still in great shape and he's still relatively young. Um, that was the end of that era, and truly, I believe it was. And I really wish, oh, how I wish they did not run that stuff back in 2018. Uh, but we live and learn, and we have to deal with what they provide us. So I really am a fan of that match. I remember watching that match. That was a very good WrestleMania. That was also the same night we got John Cena and, and The Rock, but that's unrelated to this. Uh, that, was, that was a very solid card, but that match in particular, like... That's a match I look back on and think, you know, this is why I love professional wrestling. Oh, for sure. And 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 when a match can do that, I, I 
there's nothing, there's not much better, in my opinion. You know, you, you gotta love it, and you gotta take it for what it is. And, uh, they gave us a lot that night, and all those guys left everything they had in that ring for that four-year story arc. Uh, and Hell in a Cell, proving once again to be the perfect stipulation to blow off what was literally four years in the making. Four consecutive WrestleManias culminating in one huge match. And the cell was used appropriately. But yet, we can still put Mark Henry versus Randy Orton inside Hell in a Cell. I just... Uh, the give and take is, is just crazy to me. But that's besides the point. Moving on to another cell match that we were t- we mentioned recently. Uh, the six-man Armageddon Hell in a Cell match. The stacked card of Taker and Rikishi, Triple H, Kurt Angle, The Rock, and Stone Cold. What were your thoughts on watching that the first time you went and saw that, you know, many years after the fact? So that match, like, when I first saw it, I was confused because I was like, you know, why? First of all, why the hell did they bring in the trucks with, like, the, what was it, the hay bales, like, on the back? Well, so the whole thing was that uh, Vince did not want the match to happen, but Mick Foley, who was commissioner, booked the match. And they were having, they were, the whole thing was that he wanted to get those six guys out because he was so worried that they were going to hurt themselves. So bringing the truck out was meant he was going to tear down the cage because he did not want the match to happen. Uh, and the hay was there simply because Rikishi was going to get chokeslammed off the top of the cage. And, you know, he didn't. I remember to, he was like literally like fucking thrown off. Didn't he, he, he didn't need to die by landing on the back of a, of a, of a <laughs> pickup truck or whatever it was. Yeah, no, but, like, that that whole thing, like, confused me at first. But then, like, it was just, that whole match was insane. Like, you have you have six people in a cage. There's definitely going to be, you know, hell to pay. There's, there's yeah, going to be sure. fucking havoc. So, it was just, it was just, like, for me, it was, it was one of the more um, intense matches. That I've seen in my oh yeah I mean they, I think what out of the six guys four or five of them got busted open I mean yeah. they they really just said all right yeah we're just gonna we're gonna just go every bit as crazy as we can and the finish was very I mean I liked the sequence leading up to it but I feel like it was kind of underwhelming for a match of its caliber Kurt Angle right. got mauled in the in the match and he was the defending champ. And then Austin hits the stunner on the rock, and but Austin's in so much pain that he can't get up, and the angle is literally lying on the ground where the rock lands. He literally just picks his hand up and places it on his chest, and he counts one, two, three, while Austin was trying to come to his feet. Uh, I feel like there should have been a little bit of a higher spot to end the match that was so crazy, but other than the finish, I did really like the match. It was a little chaotic, it was a little crazy, but hey, Hell in a Cell is supposed to be. Maybe not doing it again because six guys can just get really confusing really fast. And how do you blow off a feud with six guys? I'm very adamant that I think that should be almost every time the way it goes. And like I said, I'm, I'm impressed this year that they've actually put the right matches in the cell. The question of if they'll deliver or not is to be determined. But yes, so those were, I mean, there's so many good matches. That you could talk about. I mean, we've merely scratched the surface. I personally believed that Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton had a really good one two years ago uh, in 2018. That was the one where uh, Randy uh, took the uh, screwdriver to Jeff Hardy's... uh, Oh, in the earlobe. The the earlobe, the the hole where his gauges would go. And Lord have mercy, that looked like it was going to be painful. And, uh, yeah. 
So it, it's pretty crazy. Another one that's uh, sleeper good, Batista versus Triple H, 2005 at Vengeance. Those guys went to war. That was the match that really sent Batista off to be his own superstar. You know, he went off and did his own thing, and from there, uh, what's it called? Triple H went uh, to being back more of a relegated to a slightly in the mid card for a bit on Raw. He feuded with uh, Ric Flair after that. Right. Oh, here's another one uh, that's on the list here. I just want to bring up two more that I do want to bring up. And then if you have any more, you can as well. Uh, DX versus Mr. McMahon, Shane McMahon, and The Big Show, a.k.a. the night where, bit, where, where as JR said, Vince McMahon's head is right up the biggest ass in WWE when they shoved Vince's face right up the exposed, and, I, and, I, and this is just unbelievable, the exposed ass of The Big Show, of all people, of all the asses. That's the one I would want to stay far away from. Yet, that's where it ended up. And Vince takes it like a champ, man. He really does. He knows how to take some uh, humble pie in, in some of the weirdest ways possible to connect with the crowd and get over. Oh, man. That that match itself was... Um, I mean, I don't, I don't remember too much about it, but... um. You know, it was it was definitely one of the better handicap matches that I've seen um, in a while. I mean, again, handicap matches are tough to get behind, and the gimmick of the match was kind of like, all right, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a blow off because they had the ongoing thing with the McMahons for a while, and it was the end of the feud because the McMahons came off TV for a bit, and DX moved into a feud with. Uh, uh, rated RKO. That's who it was. Yeah, that um, was like their segue. Yeah, so it was it was nice. Uh, good match. Uh, kind of a lot of crazy spots. Shane McMahon taking his lumps as always. Um, and that was the first of th- you know Shane McMahon's been in three Hell in a Cell matches. Guy who you not would expect to be in as many Hell in a Cell matches as he was. He's actually overall. Competed in, I believe it is, uh, like the the fourth or fifth. I don't know. He's he's a little lower on the list, but still, he's been in. Uh, I got the stats in front of me here. Give me one second so that I could find it. Shane McMahon. Uh, no, okay. So uh, there's nothing here, but um, why is he the only one whose name is not on this list that I have found conveniently? Oh well, no, nonetheless. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Shane McMahon competing in three of them. So let's move on to the last match that I wanted to talk about before we transition into our closing topic for this episode, uh, and that is Triple H versus Shawn Michaels at Bad Blood 2004. Uh, this was the culmination of their uh, years-long feud um, between 2002 and 2004. Uh, that match, it holds the record for the longest Hell in a Cell match, uh, in history, um, with 46, 47 minutes, I think they went. Let's see here, let's see, uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Bad Blood, yeah, 47 minutes, 26 seconds, Triple H went over Shawn Michaels, uh, that night. Uh, remember, Triple H would soon become world champion, just a mere two months later, 
once again because Triple H in the reign of terror of 2002 to 5 never seemingly ended no matter who had the title Benoit Orton Batista uh, Benoit Orton e. Michaels for a bit Goldberg Triple H always ended up back with the title till Batista came along uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen Triple H and Shawn Michaels from 2004's Bad Blood, the 47-minute Hell in a Cell match? That one, um, I, I kind of did, but like I never, I never actually saw the complete match. Like I've seen like bits and pieces. So of I it. watched it once. Um, WWE many years ago released in a DVD set at the time was a three-disc set of every Hell in a Cell match ever, which obviously has since been expanded upon greatly. But that DVD was was uh. It was a very good one. It had every match and start to finish. Uh, and that was under the Hell in a Cell banner for a while. Um, and that match was one of the first ones that I was intrigued by because at the time, I believe, of its release, DX was actually in one of its reincarnations. I think it was the 2009 reboot of DX. And so me being a young fan, seeing this disc come out and be like, wait a minute, DX, they're, they're friends. They, they, they wouldn't fight each other. So I went and watched the match and I'm like, God, these guys killed each other. Both men, obviously, I mean, you, as you would expect Sean and Triple H to do, they bled profusely, and they went 47 minutes. Now, look, Sean can go 47 minutes. He's done it before with Bret Hart. But I just, I think the match was about 15 minutes too long. They needed it a half an hour, I think, to go, you know, tell their story and put an end to it. 47 minutes to me... That is a match, that's a length reserved for world championship matches. You know, like, two guys, like, if the world title was on the line there, I could almost excuse it. But that wasn't the main event. They went on in the middle of the show. They had a main event to go that night. I believe Chris Benoit defended the world title against, I think, Kane. Uh, you know, it was, let, let's take a look at the, the results for that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, crazy. To think, yeah, uh, no, oh, they did go on last. Wow. Okay. So, stri uh, strike that statistic that I just gave, because uh, what's it called? They um, Shawn Michaels and Triple H went on last, and they went 47 minutes in the main event, whereas the World Heavyweight Championship match went on before it, and they went 18 minutes. So oh, the World Title match went a grand total of 18 minutes, while the uh, Main event, which was two guys who were not in the championship picture at that moment, went 48. So, yeah. I liked the match. Again, I just think it was too long. But I wanted to bring it up because it is the longest ever Hell in a Cell match. And so it deserves to be discussed amongst the greats. Or the worst, as we've also covered. I mean, nothing will... I don't want to say nothing will be worse than The Fiend and Seth Rollins. But let's be honest... WWE is not against trying themselves to do to top themselves, even if it's topping the worst possible thing they could have done, which I still don't understand why they do it. But to go back to our topic of, and this is how we're going to kind of wrap things up, uh, talking about the uh, greatest to ever step foot into the cell. We talked about The Undertaker, and we went through his, his historic list of, of Hell in a Cell matches. Once again, he holds the record for most appearances in the cell with 14. He's 8-6 and six in those matches. Right behind him with nine is Triple H. He's six and three, and as I mentioned, Randy Orton will be in his eighth this Sunday. He is four and three in his first seven, holding victories over uh, Jeff Hardy, uh, John Cena, and Sheamus in Hell in a Cell. Um, whereas he's lost 
Oh, no, he's also got a fourth victory, and that fourth victory would be against... I like to be consistent with my statistics, everybody, so bear with me. His fourth win came against Daniel Bryan in 2013, the night Shawn Michaels was also the guest referee. There's an instance where a guest referee was not needed, and they included one anyway, because of the whole best-for-business authority storyline, and Lord knows that ran its course quicker than you can count to three, and Shawn counted to three pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, who do you think of outside of the undertaker and triple H? We'll take those two out because we've, and mankind, Mick Foley, we've spoken about them in detail. Who else do you synonymize with the hell in a cell? You had to pick the one hell in a cell. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say Michaels because he was part of the first one, um, with the undertaker and Man, um, who else can I put? Oh my god, uh, I'd probably put Edge in there too for a few for the few for the few matches that he had. Well, Edge actually officially only had one. He had the one. Only had one. It. Yeah, so he had the one, and that was it. But what I will say that I really did like about um, what's it called? Um, the ones that I uh, Brock Lesnar I think Brock Lesnar competed in only two he's only been in two which is saying something for a guy who's been in a lot of big matches in his career he's competed in Iron Man matches and street fights and, and, and all, the, all the like but two Hell in a Cell matches both against the same guy and he won both times he beat The Undertaker in two separate Hell in a Cell matches both of which were really good now, their 2002 one was hindered a little bit because I know Taker was wrestling with a broken wrist. But in 2015, The Undertaker was well past his prime. Lesnar was is still as good as he ever has been. But Taker was well past his prime. And Brock, and not, not to say that Taker couldn't hold his own, but Brock really pulled out the stops to make that match look good. It's been said before, I've heard it somewhere, where Brock is, he'll sell his ass off for you if he likes you, if he respects you. And Taker is obviously on that list of guys that he respects. They have had a good friendship for many, many years. And he sold for a 50-year-old man who is well in over his head and being in a match of that caliber against a man of that size, mere 14, 15, uh, 16, 17 months after this man knocked you out with a concussion at WrestleMania and sent you to the hospital, not intentionally, but yet, still happened and yet takers in there taking those bumps on 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 they, they pulled the mat up at one point so for me it's brock lesnar because he put on two cal, uh, stellar matches with the undertaker at two different points in his in each of their careers uh 20 2002 and 2015 um and that's it and, and you know i mean hell in a cell is as we've said is is synonymized by the likes of taker and and uh, triple h and randy orton and uh mick foley for their and Shawn michaels for their uh unbelievable efforts in their time in the cell a uh, guy like john cena has been in the cell a handful of times as well but not memorable in really any sense he's faced randy orton twice and he's one and one against randy in the cell he's um he's faced del rio and uh, cm punk back in uh, what was it, 2013 2014 that match itself wasn't like the greatest 11 i believe it was 2011 2011 I, yeah i mean 
that match was overshadowed. That was the night that the Miz and R Truth got arrested because they weren't working there, and they snuck into the cell, and and then Triple H was like trying to fight them, and then he was getting arrested because he was striking a, a defenseless civilian or something like that. I not a fan, just not a fan, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Cena has been involved in some of the biggest and most important matches and stipulations that you can name. I mean, you name a stipulation, he's competed in the match. And you can kind of name one really good match of each kind. I mean, the Royal Rumble, I, the 2008 Rumble is one of my favorites. Uh, Money in the Bank, he's competed in one. Okay, maybe not the best because that was a that was a tough one. He shouldn't have won that. I'm just going to come right out and say that. Why does John Cena need to be Mr. Money in the Bank? This is the king of getting a shot for no reason. Why has he got to win the Money in the Bank briefcase to get a shot that he's going to screw up when he cashes it in and be the first person to ever unsuccessfully cash in their Money in the Bank briefcase? Beyond me, that's what it is. Um, he's competed in Falls Count Anywhere matches, and he had a Falls Count Anywhere match with the Great Khali that was good. I mean, come on, when you can have a, a good match with the Great Khali, you know you're doing something right. Um, he's had I quit match. I quit match. Oh, his uh, his I quit match with Batista. Man, I really like that one. Uh, uh, over the limit, 2010. His oh, his I quit match with Randy Orton at Breaking Point. Remember when they Orton handcuffed himself to him and Cena was choking Randy with his own arm while Randy was scraping for the key on the mat. He was literally inches away and then he's being choked out by his own arm. He goes, I quit, I quit, I quit. Oh, man. I'm excited to see that stipulation be included in a Hell in a Cell match this year. Roman and Jey Uso. Especially, especially Roman and uh, Jey. That's going to be... Uh... This this one's gonna be really personal, so I'm I'm, I'm excited, excited to see what they do. I am excited for the simple fact that I think they can put on a great match, even like even without the cell. But oh, yeah. the, but like they did at Clash of Champions. But I think the addition of the cell, the addition of the I Quit stipulation, if nothing else, gives Jay a little more of a chance realistically, because now he's not restricted to the regular rules of a match where he can't use a weapon to get an advantage. Because we saw at Clash of Champions, Roman overpowered him. Roman, you know, dominated him. But if Jay can get his hands on something, like a, a chair, a kendo stick, he can do a lot with that. He can make himself have a chance, find a way to make Roman say, I quit. I don't think it'll happen, but it makes it more believable because of what we've seen out of these two guys before. We've seen Jay start to show this really new aggressive side just last week on SmackDown. And I really hope that they take this and they go somewhere with it. And it's not just stalling out. You know? Um, and they've done a good job. I was kind of surprised when they said this was going to go another month. This has to be it. they got to stop it after this match. Because I think Roman's going to come within an inch of killing his cousin. And after that, there's really no point in continuing the story and just let him face somebody new now. You have a draft for a reason. There's new guys on SmackDown. For the love of God, just let him face anybody, and I'm sure it'll be great because Roman's character is at the top of the game right now. I mean, not to say we're going to fantasy book, but, I mean, a guy like Daniel Bryan's a prime candidate to step in there with Roman. Rey Mysterio, uh, Dominic Mysterio even. I, I, I think that there can be a lot of good that comes out of a feud with those types of guys. Uh, over on SmackDown, um, Apollo Cruz. I mean, that's that's kind of stepping into a direction I wouldn't want to go, but we'll see. We will see what ends up happening. So, is there anything else you would like to add to our pretty 
all over the place, yet still, I think, interesting discussion of Hell in a Cell. I think that's pretty much... I think we covered pretty much everything. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as we said, if you'd like to tune into WWE Hell in a Cell, you can do so on Sunday, October the 25th at 7 p.m. live on the WWE Network. Uh, you can catch all the great matches, including Sasha and Bailey, Roman and Jay, and Drew and Randy, all inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, thank you for joining us, as always, here on the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. Who we, as we always remind you to never be afraid to be a fan. Thank you. Stay well. On behalf of my good friend Angelo, I've been Freddie, and we shall see you the next time right here on the pod. So long, everybody. <laughs>